and this is the art of less doing. I'm going to teach you how to optimize, automate, and outsource everything in your life, including your health, in order to be more effective. I want you to stress less, free up as much time as possible, and do the things you want to do. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Less Doing Podcast, episode 172. I am sitting here in my co-working space in the lower or lower Manhattan uh, at LMHQ. And today's episode is 172 with Nir Eyal. And Nir is a <laughs> Nir is a dear friend of mine who uh, we've crossed paths many, many times before. And we finally had the chance to meet at Mastermind Talks in Napa a few months ago. And Nir is a really interesting guy, really into productivity, and he actually came out with this new book called Hooked, which is just a fascinating read about sort of how technology and things hook us. So it's a, it's a great interview. And I just have a few links to share with everybody today. The first one is called uh, Kelby & Co. And this is a clothing company that makes men's shirts and jackets. And I have to say this is this is very very cool and long overdue. Basically, they've integrated nanotechnology into the shirts, so they are stain proof. Now, you may have heard of stain resistant clothes before, but this is actually stain proof, and they've done a really cool video showing people spilling all sorts of things like wine and soy sauce and everything. And essentially, the fabric will repel the stain, whatever it might be. And if there's anything left, then you just run some water down it. So uh, it's pretty cool. They show like a uh, person spilling coffee on. Their shirt and then there's just a few drops left and they take a, a bottle of water and just run it down the shirt and it comes right off and it, it, it doesn't get the shirt wet either. So they run it down, the shirt is nice and clean and they go about their day. Now I have to say in terms of efficiency, when you can have efficient clothing that looks good and is functional that you can sort of do your daily life in, travel, go to business meetings, whatever it might be, that is a big efficiency because nobody wants to deal with unnecessary laundry or uh, getting things to tailor or whatever it might be. So th- I think these are great and I actually am going to order some myself. This is uh, this is in line with the um like the Mizzen and Main shirts and they they're really popular with uh, Tim Ferriss. He talks about them on his uh, podcast all the time. They make shirts that are made from athletic wear, so uh, sweat wicking material, but they look like normal boardroom shirts. You know, you could wear a button down shirt like this and nobody would know that it's made from sweat wicking material that you you don't have to worry about crumpling it up in your bag or about it smelling or anything. So I really like this sort of trend of more efficient clothing. Now, the next one is called Quad Jobs. So this is a, it's like a task rabbit alternative, basically. They're, they're essentially uh, farming out work or uh, to college kids. Now, that's not a new concept, but they've this one has just been done really well. I, I, I really like the way that they offer things. Uh, and the truth is, is that TaskRabbit, while is, it's great, and I use TaskRabbit a lot, it, it is getting to be a little bit more on the expensive side. Now, of course, the people that are doing these jobs, they're, they're, they're really, they're earning it, but it's still, if you need to get something really quickly done or just a one-off job, sometimes TaskRabbit is not necessarily cost-effective, whereas 
quad jobs will be more cost effective because they're using college labor and they can do things like babysitting, errands, uh, housekeeping, moving, computer and tech support, that kind of stuff. All the same kind of things that that TaskRabbit can do. Uh, also, TaskRabbit is not available everywhere, but there's pretty much a college within a few miles of everyone nowadays, it seems. So check out Quad Jobs if you need those sort of odd jobs done, or even if you need something done more regularly. Uh, so then the next one is called Mona, and this is in the group of uh, product purchasing assistants in a way, but they have a different spin on it. So we, you know, we, you, everyone heard about Fetch, and we talked about Helpa, and then there's Operator. What Mona does is you create missions. So for example, I want you might say that I want a pair of jeans that are in this style and are under two hundred dollars, and then basically Mona goes on a mission and it finds those things for you. And it continues to find those things for you. So if it can't find something of that price, then it'll keep looking until it does find them. Uh, it'll have your size. It'll get to know your styles. It becomes very personal, your brands, your budget, and will continue to suggest things after that. So this is definitely much more fashion focused, but uh, it's it's really cool looking. And it, 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 any of these kinds of things that can personalize this stuff for you, I think are, are great. Uh, the next service is called Declutter. Now, there have been services like this before, too, such as Biometronics or uh, uh, Gazelle, for example, that will help let you get rid of CDs, DVDs, games, that kind of stuff. But this is this one is uh, a newcomer, and it's really nice. So basically, if you've got a whole bunch of CDs and DVDs and stuff in your house, you can scan, you can just put in the barcode, and it will give you an immediate price. And then they will, you, you, they'll give you a label, you ship it for free to them, and you get your money in your account. It really couldn't be easier. And as more and more stuff moves digitally into the cloud, and we have Dropbox and everything, there really is less and less of a need for physical physical storage medium such as CDs. So if you've got a ton of them piling up, this is probably a good way to get rid of it. And this is very in line with the six fundamental less doing about organization where we talk about setting limits and you know if you have an entire shelf full of dvds or a box full of dvds you might tell yourself look i'm only allowed to keep five that are really important to me that i watch or whatever whatever that number might be but something that's artificially restrictive and then you work backwards from that number to figure out a way to make that possible and this is a very very good way to do that now, the last link for today that I want to mention is a TED Talk, and this is a TEDx talk that my friend Ben Ahrens did, and Ben was on the podcast before. We'll link to his episode in the show notes, but he is all about human performance, and Ben had really severe Lyme disease that was causing neurological function issues. He wasn't able to tie his own shoes. It was really bad. And he was able to overcome it himself through alternative means and natural medicine and a lot of self-tracking. And he talks about it in this TED Talk. It's absolutely fascinating. I've, I've, I've connected Ben with tons of people who have suffered from Lyme disease, and he's just a wealth of information. So I, I love a good TED Talk as much as anybody else. So I recommend you check this one out with Ben Aaron. So that's all we've got today. The uh, next next episode is going to be with Dr. Jeff Moss of Moss Nutrition. So we'll look forward to seeing you then. Thanks for listening. The Less Doing Podcast pulls together the top experts in the industry to help you optimize, automate, and outsource everything in your life so you can start doing the things you really want to do again. What would you do if you could only work an hour a day? Would you crumble or would you thrive? When I was sick with Crohn's disease, I was faced with that reality. 
because there were days when I literally couldn't eke out more than an hour of work a day. And I had to figure out ways to not only get everything done, but get more done than I was doing before. And that is how Less Doing was born. Less Doing is about you. It's the easiest way to learn and implement a huge amount of productivity tips into your life in a short amount of time. Whether you're a crazy busy business owner, a tired executive in a large company, or a stressed out soccer mom, we've brought it all together for you to help you overcome the overwhelm in your life. For the latest how-tos and actual tips on becoming more productive, sign up for my newsletter over at lessdoing.com. But I want to offer you all something more. As listeners of this podcast, I want to give you the opportunity to get on the phone with one of my Less Doing certified coaches. I've trained each one of them myself, and they really know what they're doing. The first call is completely free, and you will get some real advice and tips on how you can be more productive in your life and get back to making things easier again. Thanks for listening, and now enjoy the interview. So now I'm speaking with Nir Eyal, who is the author of Hooked, How to Build Habit-Forming Products. So Nir, uh, thank you for taking the time to talk to me. My pleasure. It's great to be here. Yeah. So, you know, we've sort of run in the same circles for a long time, but we met for the first time Mastermind Talks a couple of months ago, and you gave this really excellent talk. And, and the book, I mean, there's just so much promising information here, and I love everything you talk about and study, so I'm really happy to have you here. So, uh, you. first of all, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, first of all, why don't you just give a little bit of background and sort of how, how did you get into the business of, I guess, the business of business and behavior? <laughs> Yeah, sure. So um, I, the most recent uh, entry into studying what I what I study and, and the research I do is that I was the the founder and CEO, co-founder and CEO of a company uh, that was in the advertising and gaming space, and I, I uh, helped run that company uh, for about three and a half years. And in the um, in that company where I had this vantage point to work in two different industries, the gaming and advertising industries. And, um, you know, I can say this to you now because I'm out of the industry, but uh, these are two businesses that are are dependent on mind control. Yeah. Let's face it, you know, that, that advertisers don't spend all this money for their health and that gaming companies engineer behavior because they're, uh, you know, the players continuing to play depends on it. Right. And so, I got to learn a lot about the psychology of how behavior is designed. And so that's uh, that. Th- those those techniques are what I then turned into this book, Hooked, uh, which the idea behind the book was to help people outside these industries, you know, people who are building products that can help people live happier, healthier, more connected, healthy habits in their lives. Uh, how do you use the same psychology that drives advertising and gaming for good? And that's really what the the book is for: is for that entrepreneur or uh, uh, product manager or designer, anybody who's working on a, on a product or service to help those people utilize consumer psychology uh, to make their products better. So, uh, you know, there's so many, there's so many different like schools of thought on habits and stuff. And, you know, for example, like it takes 21 days or 27 exposures or 66 days or, you know, all the different kind of things. What, what in your experience has been like, like how quickly can a habit be formed? Well, the, you know, it's interesting. So, the, the, there's a lot of urban legends around uh, habit formation and, and sometimes people don't bother to go like actually look at the science behind it. But it turns out there's, there's actually no universal number, uh, that there's an average and that's where some of these numbers come from. But it's really contextually specific on the behavior itself. It has to do with the emotional resonance of the behavior because a, a habit is, is just a shorthand for learning, right? It's, it's an impulse to do a behavior with little or no conscious thought. And so, if the behavior has high emotional resonance, like, for example, if 
if uh, you're new to New York City and you, by accident, you, you, know, you put your foot on the street without paying, paying attention as you're about to cross the street, and it turns out that uh, you don't have the right of way and a taxi zooms by you and almost crushes you, well, that has a high emotional resonance. And so you're, you've learned that behavior because your, your body releases a cascade of certain neurotransmitters that seal in the lesson of what not to do next time because it you know, scares the crap out of you. Um, whereas opposed to if it's a mundane behavior that you're doing without much emotional resonance to it, that it, it, doesn't, have, you know, it doesn't mean that much to you, uh, to get into the habit of doing that behavior requires you know, a lot more repetition to learn the action as opposed to something that, that has a lot of resonance. Okay, so um, can you can you give an example personally, maybe of a habit that you found difficult to enact? Um, I'm I'm constantly working on different uh, habit um, forming products, and uh, part of my client base. I mean, the, the, what what I do for most of my time is work with companies that are trying to help people build healthy habits in their lives. And so I meet with quite a few companies that have altruistic habits that try and help people live better lives. Uh, you know, the, the kind of habits that uh, could, could help all of us live better, like how do we save more money for retirement or our, our kids' education or uh, how do we exercise more or eat better? And, uh, you know, what I try and, and, and help my clients do is to use the same principles that some of the world's most successful habit-forming products utilize, right? So, when you think about the kind of products that we just can't put down, things like Facebook right. and Twitter and Instagram and our iPhone and, you know, all these products, we need to learn from these products as the best of breed. You know, these, these companies really understand how to get people to form habits. And so we should look at them as examples and, and distill from them what they're doing right. Uh, and so particularly when it comes to these hard to do habits, um, some of the, the, the lessons that we can learn uh, have to do with how enjoyable they are to use. I mean, that's a big part of why many habits are so hard to start is that we just don't like doing the habits. And so there's a lot of research now in, uh, in distractibility studies that shows that part of why we don't like to do something is because it, 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 it quells our autonomy, that we have this, this, uh, this propensity to, to do behaviors uh, when we feel free to choose. And so that's a big part of it. You know, nobody ever forced us to use Facebook or Twitter right. <laughs> or Instagram. We just wanted to. It was, you know, we didn't have to learn. Nobody taught us how to become sports fans, right? Can you imagine how boring it would be if, you know, they, they, they plopped down a book on baseball and you had to start from chapter one, the history of baseball? No, you know, people get into these things. They, they become habits. They become compulsive. They become engaging because they're genuinely interesting and we have the, the freedom to choose to participate or not. Unfortunately, I think many times when we try and instill habits in our lives, it becomes so punitive, you know, I have to work out or else. Well, that's a, that's a guaranteed way to make you not want to do that behavior because you're threatening your autonomy. So, that's one big thing is make the behavior actually something that you enjoy doing. And then uh, that, that's kind of the, the, the surface level. If you go deeper into that, it comes down to figuring out these hooks, which are the, the basis of my book and my research is this four-step process that we find is built into all sorts of habit-forming products. Uh, these hooks have four steps of a trigger, action, reward, and an investment. And that's, that's really what fills the 250 pages of my book. Yeah, and, and of course, I don't want to you know, ask you to share all that information. But what, what, you know, in this podcast, I want people to get the book. But what, um, the, the order I find very interesting, you know, that investment comes at the end. Is that correct? Right, right. Um, yeah, it's, and I don't mind. I, you know, I'm, I'm happy to, you know, you're a good friend and, and I want to be helpful to your listeners. So I'm happy to tell you as much as we have time to discuss about the book. Unfortunately, we can't dive into too much depth because of time constraints. But, um, but ba basically, you know, this four-step model is 
uh, is a process by which through repetitive experiences, by cycling through these four steps of the hook, we form associations with what's called an internal trigger. So that over time, through repetition of a trigger action reward investment, we no longer require external prompting. We don't need a spammy message. We don't need to see marketing. We don't need any kind of external prompting. At first we do, but eventually we begin to prompt ourselves every time we're in a particular situation, a routine, or most frequently an emotion. So for example, when I'm feeling lonely, I check Facebook. When I'm uncertain, I right. Google. When I'm uh, bored, I, I check YouTube instantly with no conscious thought. And that turns out to be the backbone of how these products create these habits is by creating this association with these internal triggers so that we don't need any external prompting. We just do these behaviors on our own with little or no conscious thought. Right. So, and, and that's the only thing about that, and, and it makes complete sense, but is that something that can only be, can only happen once? You know, like obviously I don't think anybody else could create another Facebook at this point. Like there's just too, you know, too much of a, a runway, I guess there. So um, you know, are there limited numbers right. of spaces in our minds for those kind of automatic behaviors? Well, I, I would argue that, that Facebook is not the first Facebook either. That, uh, you know, that what we call the product changes, but the fundamental itch that it scratches, the, the thing that we use the product for has not changed for the past 200,000 years that our species existed. And that fundamental function, the itch it scratches, is social right. connection. Right? And you can call it Facebook, but I would argue that before Facebook, we had in-person connections. And, be, and, and, and we had all these, you know, the telephone was a form of social connection. And uh, bulletin board systems, remember, yeah, if you remember course, those, BBSs, right? Those were a form of social connection, right? So, Facebook is not the first company to scratch this itch. This is an age-old dilemma. And let me tell you, there will be something after Facebook that scratches that itch of needing social connection even better. So, the lesson here is, you know, we're not creating internal triggers. You, you, you can't create these internal triggers. These are age-old human needs. The, the trick here is to figure out what those needs are, what are those itches in the user's life, and how can your product scratch that itch better, more frequently than the, uh, what, what the alternative is today. So, uh, well, in that vein, uh, you know, like the social connection desire or whatever you want to call it, you know, is, is, a, is a fairly high level sort of 50,000 foot like, you know, need. So like, what are some of the other big needs like that? Sure. I think there are several. So uh, I think one of the biggest drivers of using products on the web, for example, is boredom, that uh, we feel this itch of boredom throughout our day-to-day -day lives with little or no conscious thought. We don't even realize we might feeling, be feeling this boredom, but to satiate that itch, we're turning to uh, news sites or Reddit or sports scores, right? We go see ESPN or stock prices or Pinterest, right? There's a huge driver here of our day-to-day -day behaviors that's, that's uh, done in a way that we don't really perceive that gets us to use these products with little or no conscious thought. But of course, there's, there's others as well. There's uncertainty, there's fatigue, there's stress, there's anxiety. There's all well, wait, these actually, can we, can we back up the boredom for one sec? Because I think sure. the, the funny thing about it, and what you, I mean, you sort of just said this anyway, is that yeah. a lot of the, like the overwhelm that we're experiencing, it, we're, we're seeking the same source to cure the problem that it's causing. Well, yeah. so that's the, okay, so now you're opening up a whole can of worms, which is a really <laughs> interesting question, uh, which requires uh, a lot of analysis and a lot of thought. And for some people, this is absolutely the case that, and this is where, this is where addiction happens. What you just identified 
is exactly what causes uh, addiction versus a habit versus even a bad habit. Remember, you know, addictions by definition are always bad. Addictions are these persistent compulsive dependencies on a behavior or substance and they hurt the user. Right. As opposed to a habit, you know, we have good habits and we have bad habits. So what's the difference? Well, when the solution becomes the problem, that's when we have an addiction. So if you think about, you know, all of the things that people are addicted to, uh, short of short of you know the, the the hard drugs which have no other purpose other than uh, getting high, uh, and even you know even those you know we, you know we use opiates we use different uh, of, uh, different drugs for medicinal purposes as well some of them, but you know many of the things that we're talking about here today around the technologies that we use and the, and the products we use that cause habits if we overuse them if we abuse them that's when they call, cause us trouble. So when the solution becomes the problem, when we're, we're um, uh, checking email to feel productive, but then we're checking email so much that it's starting to hurt our productivity, right? And, we, and it becomes the problem. When right. we use online dating sites that we, because we feel lonely, but then we use online dating sites so much that we do nothing but, and then we become more lonely, right? So there's, there are these examples of these products that become, uh, we, we abuse, and that's when the solution becomes the problem. I, I, from my research, it turns out that I, I, what I'm finding is that it's, it's something that occurs on an individual level. It's based on how the individuals use the product. And it's something that for most people, other than you know, people who have a psychographic profile for addiction, it's something that most people, when they become aware of and they realize, wait a minute, this is hurting me, they do something about it. Right? And that's, that's the defining characteristic between an addiction and these habits, even these bad habits. These bad habits, you, when you become aware of them, you can do something about them. Whereas these addictions, <laughs> even when you realize you're addicted, you're powerless. You can't do anything about them without some serious intervention. Right. So uh, anyway, or, well, and, and uh, I think that's excellent. But so go on. You had a couple more of those high-level sort of needs. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think I cover them, but you know, there, there's there's a whole list of, of of other needs. If you can think of these emotional pain points, these things that that uh, are, are are you know produce some kind of need in our day to day life, uh, those emotions tend to be the things that a product or service can latch onto uh, to create these these behaviors that we do with little or no conscious thought. Um, is uh, is companionship the same thing as like social network social connection, or is that is that a different subset? I think I think it's it's in a similar vein. Now now that being said, just because one person has uh, loneliness or this need to seek connection, which it, every human being does have a, have this uh, innate need. I mean, you know, there's some corner cases, right? But the, the, you know, that short of psychopaths, we feel empathy, we seek companionship. Now, how we seek companionship is a different story. Right, we can have the the same need, but with different flavors, so to speak, that that cater to different niches. So, uh, one person might find one thing entertaining. One one person might say that some one thing scratches the itch of boredom or loneliness, but something else uh, doesn't for a different person. So that's where individual preferences come into play. Gotcha. And, and so, uh, you know, other than your research in the book, like, what, I mean, you're working with companies and doing consultations, right? So, like, what, what, what are a lot of the kinds of work that you find yourself doing now with this? Yeah, so my, my, the focus of my work on the commercial side is, is you know, I work with companies to help them um, build products that, that create healthy habits, that help people live better lives. Uh, and I think for the most part, the, the products that, that we, we use that we find to be so habit-forming for most people, these products are you know so good 
that at times they can be uh, things that we use too much. And so that's that's where I'm I'm walking this fine line. You know, I've I've spoken for Facebook, I've consulted for LinkedIn, I I've uh, I've worked with many of these companies that build products that we find so habit forming. What I'm trying to do is also figure out how we can enable and empower users to not overuse these products. And I know that's a subject that you're you're very uh, involved with. Is you know, how do we use email effectively? How do we make sure right. that we can put technology in its place so that it doesn't control us? And part of that is our responsibility for sure. But I, I, I think that there's also a role for these companies to make it a little bit easier for, for, for us to regain control. You know, there's a lot of things that companies can do to, 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 to help us put technology in its place that they're not doing today. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, email is a particularly good example, I would say, you know, because so many people that I deal with talk about how a like the first thing they do when they wake up is roll over and look at their phone and it's not usually a good thing like um, for me when I, I don't do it first thing but when I do look at my phone I'm actually really excited because of the way that I have my email set up and because of the uh, the relationship that I have with my email like to me it's it's actually it's a it's a good thing and I, and I can turn it off for a long time and still have things happen in the background but yeah I think people just become addicted to this sense of like busyness Mm-hmm. And and then the, you know the outlet becomes becomes as you said like it, it, you know the problem the solution is the problem in some ways. Yeah. Well, let me turn the interview around to you actually because I have a question for you that I'm other reader uh, other listeners might have as well. So I, I've actually <laughs> taken your your course and I, I've implemented many of the techniques that you, uh, you you espouse and they've really benefited me. I mean, well, thank um, you for saying I that. use both Boomerang and Follow Up DC and they I mean just right there. The, the, how to use those effectively and I started using fancy hands because of you all these things have really helped I can't say however that I get that feeling of joy when I check email I mean I, I, I check it only twice a day now so at least I've limited my pain the problem that I have is that so many of the things that I have to do over email are not scalable they're, they're, there's no way an assistant could help me respond I mean, how do you deal? And I, oh, I still have just, those yeah, that was like my trigger word. <laughs> What's that? that? That's like my trigger phrase when somebody says, "There's no way somebody else could help me with this." Um, yeah, I know. So, I know. so wait, but sorry, I'm you really said the twenty-one. <laughs> what, what were the twenty things you said? Sorry, I cut you off. No, not at all. So I still have those. You know, I would say that I've got the majority, probably seventy percent of my emails. Your method absolutely works for. But I've still got those twenty, twenty-five emails that each one takes me at least five minutes to crank out, um, which take up. Too much time in my day. So and what, 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 so what kind of, well, first of all, when are you checking email those two times? When are they? I check it right after I write. So first thing I do in the morning is I write, and then I, so I have a two-hour block between 7.30 and 9.30, so I check email at 9.30 a.m., and then I check email again after my daughter goes to bed at about 8 p.m. Okay. And then um, do you have a limit on how long you can check it for? Yes. Uh, so in the morning, I usually do about half an hour. Uh, because that, I schedule my next meeting at, at 10 o'clock. And then in the evening, I go from 8 to 10 uh, because my internet router shuts off at 10. I've, I've programmed it because I don't, you know, I want to get to bed. So I, <laughs> I programmed it to turn off at 10 p.m. Oh, that's right. Oh, right. That's good. So, you, so you're doing a half an hour in the morning and then possibly two hours of email at the end of the day or internet. Right. Okay. And then those 20, 25 emails, like what kinds of things are they that take you five minutes and stuff? Are they, what, what kind of things? They're all over the place. Um, <laughs> uh, that's the problem. That they're, I look for patterns of, of what, what comes up again and again, and it's, it's, it's uh, yeah, it's tough to say. They're, they're kind of all, you know, questions from a reader, um, or 
Uh, oh, well, okay, no, no, let's stop there. Okay, so questions okay. from readers. So, like, is that the kind of thing that you would, I mean, that you just normally give them a response? Or do you have, like, a consulting program that you put them in or suggest they go into? Or how is it, like, do you just write back and say, here's the answer? Well, I'll, I'll, you, usually, I mean, nine times out of ten, even that's a little bit scalable because I get, you know, nine times out of ten, I get a question that I've been asked before or an article I've written. So I'll just, you know, search online, find the article that I wrote about, and then plop it in. Uh, and say, here, I actually wrote about that. Here's what I think. Um, yeah. Okay, so so with that, that's one really good example. Uh, and this, this should apply to other things. So I created something. Are you familiar with my concept of the human autoresponder? I... I am. I read about it, but refresh my memory. Okay. So this, you know, for everyone listening, this is really, really relevant. This is something I created a long time ago now, and I'm, I'm very proud of it. Um, so the idea is that autoresponders are not particularly efficient because, um, you know, either they're very short and they, all they do is tell somebody that you're not available, or they're very long and people don't read them. So generally speaking, they don't make a lot of sense. Um, and the fact that you're using fancy hands is very good. So what happens with me is that when somebody sends a request a contact request through the form on my website, or they email me uh, with certain keywords, one of which is Crohn's, which you know is, I get a lot of inquiries about Crohn's disease, then that email doesn't even go to me, it goes right to a fancy hands virtual assistant, and it includes a link to an Evernote notepad, notebook, which has probably about 40 or 50 different pieces of information in there, and basically what it says is that here is all the possible information I can think of, you, as the fancy hand assistant, use this information to to provide a personal response to this person. Mm. So, for example, if somebody had uh, a question that was about the book or about your research, then that would, in, in my case, that would be instructions for the assistant to then go to your website and try to find the blog post that best answered that question in their opinion. Uh, and then basically, since I say, you know, look, I hope this, this provides the answer, and if it doesn't, you know, you can let us know, give us a follow-up or something like that. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a perfect thing that, that an assistant definitely could do for you. Mm. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, you know, it, it comes down to whittling away more and more and more of the tasks that are in any way repetitive to, to these kind of uh, autoresponse. That's great. Well, I, yeah, I mean, so my, my human autoresponder thing has about, like I said, 40 or 50 pieces of information, but it's everything from, like, basic stuff, like somebody wanting a headshot and a bio, uh, right. to which, by the way, I see you have that taken care of on your website. You already have a link right to that. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it could also be somebody asking about Crohn's disease or about, uh, you know, email or somebody, I, I even have them deal with certain customer service issues, you know, so if somebody, like we had a a free book offer running for a long time and it, there were a lot of people that went into it so we, we there were some that fell through the cracks so I even have something for that where if somebody emails with an issue regarding not receiving a book then the assistant is provided with the information on where to look to see if that actually did go out and if it didn't they're also provided with the information on how to provide or to, how to actually place the order for that person right. so you know those how, are all, how many tasks do you allocate to like what plan are you on at fancy hands because you <laughs> I, must be on like the uber <laughs> i am on a plan that does not exist anymore which is it's always tough when i have to tell people about this but i am i have a unlimited plan um, unlimited plan which, oh man i wish they would offer that again yeah i'm probably the reason that they don't offer it uh right. they, <laughs> they they got thanks rid- a lot Ari. you ruined it for the rest of us <laughs> yeah they got rid of it uh just a few months after they introduced it actually and it was 95 dollars a month at the time which is uh, nothing obviously for that um i have i just got my stats 
the other day, and I've I've issued sixty seven hundred tasks to uh, Fancy Hands. Oh my gosh, they hate you. Well, <laughs> yes and no. You know, I love you. Oh, I, yeah. I've also referred like three hundred people in the last that's year. True. So uh, that's true. That's true. So, but that's the funny thing. Not only have I have I been using it that much, but I haven't paid for the service in years. Right. Because I refer so many people. Because you refer so many people. However, however, just so you know, and for everybody listening, there is a company called TimeSaver, which I've tested extensively. It's timesvr.com. And uh, they are, I believe they're based in Singapore, but they're the only assistant service right now that I know of that provides unlimited tasks. And mm. for, for this kind of thing, they actually would work very well. But it's a good exercise to go through. So, you know, in, in, my, in my human autoresponder, they can respond to, uh, once I implemented it, and it's a constantly upgrading process, but it, it, I, I would say it cut down on about 60% of the emails I was sending. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, brilliant. there you go for, a, you know, there's no way an assistant could answer this stuff for me. But, yeah. of course, yeah. I'm happy to talk to you more about this um, at another time. But I think that, that was very valuable information to share with the listeners. So, thank you. For yeah, no, up. thank you. I, I'll, uh, I, you know, it's, it's, it, you're right. There's a lot more uh, that can be done than you, than, than you initially would think. Yes. Um, so, all right. Well, so we're, we're almost out of time here. So, the last question that I always like to ask on these interviews, um, and you can interpret this however you like, but what are your top three pieces of advice for people to be more effective? People to be more effective. Yeah. Well, that's that's a that's a terrific question. I mean, I, I guess it comes down to what does uh, the word effective mean to somebody? It's and what does uh, it mean to you? Yeah. Well, to to me, it's you know, it, I have a, a mantra I repeat every day. I, I'm not uh, I'm not religious or spiritual, but I I do look for um, wisdom, age old wisdom that has stuck around. And many times you can see these things in, in, in organized religion, uh, even if you don't necessarily subscribe to the, to the dogma per se. Um, and one thing is, is a mantra or prayer. And so, uh, I have a a reminder every day to repeat a few, just a few mantras. And one of them is that, uh, uh, my purpose in life is to empower people to assist others. And so having that kind, like that to me is effective. That, that, that's like, I guess to answer your question, if I can remind myself that, that uh, I have this test of, well, is that what I'm doing? Is, is what I'm working on right now a distraction or is it actually in line with my purpose, which is help to help others assist people? Um, and if, I, if I'm doing that, uh, then it's worthwhile. If it's not, if it's you know, not empowering others, then I should take it off my list in the first place, and and as you espouse as well, it, you know that, that's the first place to start to figure out if you're actually if you actually need to be doing the thing in the first place. So that's number one. Um, and then I think it, it comes down to a question I love to ask people, just because it's it's I think it's a very revealing question, which is to figure out what you would do if money was no object. So mm. you know when I when I have lunch with somebody and I feel like we we have a connection at some point in the conversation, if if it, if the conversation is going well and the person is interesting, we come up across this question, I'll ask, you know, guess what? Uh, let's imagine that tomorrow uh, your rich uncle that you never knew you had uh, drops dead and left you $10 million in your will, in his will. What do you do after you celebrate, right? Like, what do you do with your day after you, after you celebrate if money was no object? Or, or mourn. <laughs> or, 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 well, it's, an, it's, it's a person you never knew, right? Right, right. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> what, what do you mean, or mourn? If you, if, because the person died? Yeah, yeah, I'm kidding. I'm oh, kidding. okay. That's why I say it's somebody you never knew. So you, <laughs> it's a, like a genie gives you, gives you the money as, as granting you a wish. And it, it's, it's interesting because I think when I ask myself that question, 
um, my answer is, is to write. Like to write and research is what I would do, uh, even if tomorrow money was, was, was no object at all. And if I, could, if I can do that, then man, like that's amazing because that's not even working. That's, that's playing. And the irony is that when I, when I allowed myself the intellectual space to ask myself, well, what, what might that look like? You know, what if I did just do what I want to do, which is to write and research and learn uh, and to teach? You know what might that turn into, and the irony is that actually it made it, it made it itself into a business without me really trying. I just kept playing and playing and playing and writing and writing and doing what I wanted to do. And it turns out if you do something long enough, you'll hit your ten thousand hours and you'll start being pretty good at it. And uh, you know, I, I found people who thought my my content and my research was interesting as well. And and that to me is amazing, right? Like I, I don't I don't have any regrets professionally right now because this is literally what I would do no matter how much I got paid or how little I would get paid. And so that's, that to me is, is, is a real dream come true. Cool. And that's two. That's two. Uh, I'll have to think about the third right now. Oh, I'll tell you what the third is. Uh, find a great life partner <laughs> because, uh, uh, that makes a huge, huge impact. And I'm all, so I'm, I'm, I don't know if that's something you can necessarily will to be, but I will say that, uh, uh, my secret weapon is 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 my wife Julie. She's uh, you know we've been together. Uh, next year we will have been together longer than we will have not been together. We met uh, back in college, and so uh, she's been an amazing amazing support system for me. Well, that's those. I think those are wonderful. Actually, it's funny. There's an article a couple weeks ago that I think I'm sharing on an upcoming podcast called uh, the called the right spouse is the ultimate life hack. that's a great title and (laughs) so true so true yeah so cool well Nira thank you Uh, thank you for putting up with a little bit of technical difficulty in the bidding and for sharing some great information everybody has to has to get the book and I, I mean, you, I think you, you're just sharing really actionable knowledge, honestly. And it's, it's even if you don't have a product or a service or anything, I think as a consumer, it's really important to know this kind of information as well. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, actually, it's funny that the, the, the talk that you saw at Mastermind was actually called Unhooked, right. uh, which uses the exact same principles to figure out how do you put technology in its place? How do you feel less overwhelmed by understanding why, how these products are built to, to engage you? Yep, absolutely. So, uh, Nira, so uh, we're going to have links, obviously, to everything, but please don't tell people where the best place they can find out more about you is. Sure, thank you. Yeah, the, the book is called Hooked, How to Build Habit-Forming Products, and it's available wherever books are sold. And I blog at nearandfar.com, and near is spelled like my first name, N-I-R-and-far.com. Yeah, which, by the way, is a, a, a great, great blog title. So, uh, <laughs> well, Nira, thank you again, and uh, appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Ari. It's a pleasure. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Less Doing podcast. If you want to find out more information of the show, we would love to hear from you. You can go to lessdoing.com where you can look at Ari's blog, see the show notes for this episode, and also look at all the other episodes before this. If you want to send us a voicemail, we would love to hear from you and we'll play it on the show. You go to lessdoing.com, click on contact, and look on the right side of the page where you'll see a, a send voicemail button. Click on that and go ahead and record an audio message for us. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter. Ari's Twitter handle is at Ari Mizell and mine is at Felix Bird. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. See you next time.